Listening to the Fighting Saints Report. And we welcome you into another edition of the Fighting Saints Report. Jack Molesky joined by Jim Leitner here this Monday, January 11th, as we get set for another two game home weekend for the Fighting Saints. We'll talk a lot about the weekend coming up, two Western Conference teams that they'll face off against. Uh, we have a little NCAA talk because Matthew Copperwood continues to tear things up. And then we'll finish the show with some NHL talk. It seems like a while since we've talked NHL hockey, but the season is coming back. 56-game season for the NHL teams. And the first game's coming up in just a few short days on Wednesday. Very excited to have NHL hockey back. So a lot to break down. But as we always do, we're going to start this show uh, by welcoming in Jim and talking about the weekend that was for the Fighting Saints. And this is going to be a weekend that I think the Fighting Saints are going to want to wipe out of their memory as quickly as possible, because as good as Saturday and Sunday were at home against Des Moines and Chicago winning in overtime, this Friday-Saturday trip to Youngstown was equally as bad. And it really kind of feels like a step back after the team had shown so much promise the weekend before. Yeah, you know, it's a team that uh, it was an opportunity for the Fighting Saints to gain a little separation on Youngstown and and possibly even move up into fourth place in the, the USHL standings in the Eastern Conference and uh, just couldn't get it done. I, I mean, I think it was, uh, I think on paper, it looked like it was a weekend where the Fighting Saints should go over there and, and get to four points, but um Youngstown's a little bit better team than I think a lot of people gave them credit for and, and, and credit for them for getting the four points and, uh, you know, getting themselves right back into the hunt in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, Youngstown was a team that Dubuque saw all the way at the beginning of the season and Youngstown beat them 5-2 on November 7th. And this was a good weekend if you're looking at it from a Youngstown Phantoms perspective because a team that had their own bout with COVID-19 right before the uh, the holiday break. And then they had a couple other teams that they were supposed to play that also had some health issues. So they'd only played one game in three weeks coming into this contest with the Fighting Saints. Uh, but if you're the Phantoms coming out of this weekend, you have to be happy because they still have games in hand on everyone in the Eastern Conference. And to be able to win two in a row after not playing for so long, that's a weekend for them to to definitely build off of. Yeah, you know, it's it just uh, it almost defies logic, really, that uh, if you haven't played in that long a period of time that you could come out and play as well as they did. But they did. Well, I guess they had played uh, the previous Sunday, so that probably got their game legs under them a little bit. But, you know, it's it's kind of hard to imagine that a team that had been hadn't played in that long a time came out and looked as sharp as they did. And, you know, 
finish when they really needed to finish. Uh, they were, you know, they had some good scoring opportunities and they were all like able to capitalize on them. And, you know, a lot of times when you're not game ready or you haven't played in a while, it's that finish that's the, the hardest thing to come by. But um, I was impressed by the way they were able to finish, especially after, you know, they didn't have a real good first period in the, the, that first game on Friday. And, you know, they, they uh, weathered the storm there and came back and, and won that game Friday night and really built on that momentum Saturday night. And, you know, look like uh, obviously look like the better team in both games. Yeah. Six straight losses heading into that game against Dubuque. And uh, as we mentioned, the, or as you mentioned, January 3rd, they did play that past Sunday, but then before that, their last game was December 19th. So it had been a Youngstown team that was very lightly tested in USHL play and, they were able to come out and get two victories over the fighting saints and Dubuque. I mean, with winning those two overtime games, it should have given them a, a pretty big boost. And it looked like the team in the first period in that Friday game against Youngstown was the same team that won those two overtime games. They outshot Youngstown 14 to six. Uh, Matias Scholl was great in net for the phantoms to keep that at a scoreless game after the first period. But then the next five periods of the weekend really felt like a completely different team. I don't know if when you were watching, I didn't really see anything on my end that completely changed the tone, but it seemed like after that first period on Friday, it just wasn't there anymore for the Fighting Saints. Well, you know, a big key I thought for Youngstown was they scored two goals real early in that, in that second period. I think they were only a minute, minute and 10 seconds apart. So, and I think that's one of the things that uh, one of the mental obstacles I think the Saints have had for a long time this season is, you know, they'll be playing well and then they'll give up two quick goals and then it just seems like their confidence is shot, you know, and they gave up two goals right in the first, uh, you know, first three minutes and 44 seconds of that period. They're down two nothing and then it's three nothing, you know, about five minutes later. And, and again, I think that's, uh, that's been that mental obstacle when you get down three, nothing, it, it just seems like they lose a little bit of their, a uh, little bit of their mojo and they, they just can't get it back. And uh, I think that was the issue. You know, they did eventually get it to three, one, I think. And, and then, uh, but then Youngstown was able to seal the deal. So it, it's that uh, I think we've seen it throughout the year, you know, you give up a couple quick goals and, and uh, then you're chasing the game, and especially against a team like uh, Youngstown. I, I think they do a pretty decent job at trying to keep you to the outside. They, they're a pretty physical team, it looks like, and they just don't uh, they don't let you get to that that high scoring area. And you know, for whatever reason, it just seems like that's it's not a great matchup for the Fighting Saints. You know, I think they'd rather they'd rather play a team that they, they can go out and skate with. But uh, I think Youngstown, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Des Moines. They're, they're, uh, they're a good team there, but they're physical. They add that physical element that uh, Dubuque really hasn't had an answer for this year. And the fighting saints, I think another key that we talked about before the show started uh, in this two game series was the special teams or the lack thereof on Dubuque's side in that Friday night loss, the Fighting Saints were 0 for 5 on the power play. Uh, Youngstown was 0 for 1. And then on Saturday, Dubuque was 0 for 3 on the power play. Uh, but in that game, it was a, a five-minute major boarding call. So it was effectively like they were 0 for 5 again on the power play in terms of 
total minutes. And Youngstown was one for two. So Youngstown one for three on the power play during the weekend and Dubuque 0 for, 0 for eight. It feels like almost 0 for 10 when you count in the total minutes with that uh, five minute major to Riley Funk. And, and that's another difference where, you know, even if you're not playing your best hockey, which the Fighting Saints definitely were not this weekend, when you're given those power play opportunities, if you're able to score one or two goals on the power play, that can win you a game when you're not playing your best. But the Fighting Saints power play, which had scored in four or five games coming into the series, again, that was just another area where there was nothing to show for it uh, and probably one of the biggest differences in them not at least getting a split in the series. Yeah, I, I think the, the five-minute major was really the it was really the the costly one because you know they they were down one another they gave up a goal real early and i think that was a that was problematic as well you know you give up a goal 121 into the game and you're chasing again uh but then you get that five minute major the the, the end of the first period you get a five minute major and you know it's an opportunity hey at the bare minimum you should at least get that game tied up and, and possibly even take the lead if you can pop a couple of them but, you know, the, the problem was they really couldn't get anything going on that power play. And they have a costly turnover in the neutral zone. And it ends up in a, in a goal uh, the other way in the last minute of the first period. So not only does Youngstown get a shorthanded goal, they get it during a five-minute penalty kill. And they get it in the final minute of a period. I mean, those are three really detrimental things to a team. And you know, then you come out in the second period, you still, you know, you can still kind of regroup. You can still maybe get back within two to one and, you know, make a game of it again. And then you take a, a penalty and you wipe out the remainder of that, that five minute major. So, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, and I don't know what Youngstown was really throwing them at them on the penalty kill. That was, that made it tough for the fighting saints to, to get anything going, but they just, uh, they really couldn't. And, I didn't realize the numbers until you mentioned that they were 0 for 8 on the weekend and, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough thing. I mean, you, you, when you're given opportunities like that, you have to con convert on those power plays and, and uh, you know, give yourself a, a better opportunity to, to score and win. And like you mentioned with that five minute major, again, that just counts for an 0 for 1 on the stat sheet. <coughs> that's an additional three minutes and the opportunity to score as much as you possibly want. And, and when that major penalty came in that game, I, I don't believe I know exactly what the, the score was, but I think it was at the time, I want to say it was a two nothing game already for young. Oh, it was one, it was one, nothing. Yeah. One nothing. It, was just, it was just one to nothing. Yeah. And then uh, it was just one to nothing, but then, uh, so again, you know, you have an opportunity, you can tie it up tie it up and, and possibly even take the lead. But instead of, you know, making it one-to-one, -one, it, it's you're down to nothing. And that's that, I think that was really the, you know, the, really the de deflating moment of that game, obviously. And, you know, they just couldn't, uh, couldn't regroup a little bit in the third period. I thought they started to play a little bit better and, you know, have a little bit of an opportunity, but by that time, I think it was, uh, you know, it was tough sailing. Yeah. It's uh that, that's the turning point in that game, obviously. And in hindsight, it's even easier to label it as such, but it was pretty obvious during that moment as well when Ben Schoen scored the shorthanded goal with 30 seconds left in the yeah. first period where you have a five-minute major down one and after the five-minute major, you're down two. If anything, you should be tied, if not up by a goal after that. So it's a huge swing for Youngstown to get that kill and to get a shorthanded goal on it. And they were dangerous all weekend shorthanded. I think it was the 
the Fighting Saints' inability to really get anything going on the power play that not just cost them, but Youngstown probably drew some some good momentum from it when they had those strong penalty kills. And so the Fighting Saints dropped Friday 5-2, Saturday 4-1, now just two points ahead of Youngstown, who is still in last place in the Eastern Conference, but have drawn closer in points while maintaining the games in hand advantage that they had against the Fighting Saints. And uh, before we move forward to this next weekend for Dubuque, still a couple individual performances that uh, uh, we'll look at for the Fighting Saints, notably because it was his first two games with Dubuque, John Evans. And in his first game in the USHL, he picked up his first USHL goal. So regardless how the rest of the weekend went for him, that's a pretty good start to his Fighting Saints career to pick up goal number one in game number one. Yeah, it was a it's a heck of a shot, really. I mean, he came down the right wing and uh, you know picked a corner on the the opposite or the far corner and, and scored. And I mean, that was a big uh, at, at the point at that point. I think it was a you know that gave the Fighting Saints a little bit of a you know a shot of adrenaline and, and you know gave them an opportunity to stay in the game. So I think that was huge. And you know, I think it's always good when you're a when you're a, a new player to a team. Uh, to to go and have a, a moment like that right away, it, it helps you get to in, uh, get you into the the team a lot better. You know, I mean, obviously he'd been here oh probably a week and a half because of the quarantine and everything, but didn't really get to join the team until I, I believe it was Monday. But you know, you go out in your first game, and you score a goal. I think that's a you know that's a huge boost to your confidence and you know proves that the, the team was riding going out and, and acquiring you so you know yeah that was a good moment for him and you know hopefully that uh, gives him confidence and he can go out and uh, contribute even more and the other individual performance looking at this weekend uh he scored the only goal in the game on saturday but connor kurth continues to have a fantastic rookie season uh, he's now leading the Fighting Saints and was coming into the weekend, but leading the Fighting Saints once again in points, uh, in goals scored, and uh, he's top three in assists. And then when you look at the overall USHL standings, he's number one in rookie scoring for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Eight goals, eight assists, 16 points so far this season been an incredible rookie season for Connor Kurth and you've known the team a lot longer than I have Jim but I was looking back and it seems like it's been a long long time since the Fighting Saints have had a rookie leading the league at the end of the season in terms of points but Connor Kurth is certainly going to be right there the way he's playing this season yeah you might have to go back as far as Johnny Goudreau I mean that's uh you know he was a you know he was only 16 I believe when he was here uh, but he was a dynamic dynamic player obviously at that point, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch Connor play. And I mean, he's, uh, you know, he doesn't play like a rookie by, by any means. He's got a little bit of a, I think he's got a little bit of an edge to him where he's, uh, is not afraid to go in there and get uh, roughed up a little bit, or he's not afraid of any physical contact. And, you know, <laughs> he can still get a, a remarkable shot off, you know, even in traffic. So, uh, yeah, he's got a he's got a very bright future ahead of him, and uh, you know it's going to be exciting to see exciting to see where he goes in the future. But uh, you know, I think uh, he's definitely been a bright spot for the Fighting Saints all year. And looking at this upcoming weekend, very quickly for the Fighting Saints, uh, it will be Waterloo on Friday, Des Moines on Saturday. So if you're looking at the positives for you to bounce back, number one, 
you've beaten both of these teams this year. So they have experience beating both of these teams. They've beaten both of them on their home ice as well. Waterloo was their first victory of the season. Des Moines in that overtime win to start off the uh, two-game stretch with back-to-back overtime victories. And I think these are two teams that when you talked about maybe not matching up well so far this season, it looks like Dubuque has matched up well against Des Moines. We only have two games to choose from, but they looked so much better with a full complement of players. They lost 9-3 the first game they played Des Moines, but they were also severely shorthanded. And Waterloo will be a, a good game for Dubuque simply because the Blackhawks have really struggled scoring this season. Dubuque's offense has been inconsistent. So I think Friday night will be a big game because with two teams that are struggling to score the puck consistently, whoever wins that Friday game obviously gives themselves a, a little bit more momentum heading into their respective games on Saturday. And for the Fighting Saints, that's really a good ability or a good chance, I would say, to, to bounce back and maybe forget a little bit more about that weekend in Youngstown. Yeah, you know, obviously a team like Waterloo, a big rival, obviously is going to be, a, that's going to be a good test. They, they've been playing well, though. Uh, they've, uh, I know they're just five and five in their last 10, but, you know, they had some early uh, COVID issues and, you know, I think that was, that kind of led to their struggles, but I think they've been playing pretty good hockey lately and had some, some pretty good quality wins over in the Western conference. So that is certainly going to be a good challenge. And, and Des Moines, you know, Des Moines a team that uh, so far the fighting Saints have split with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do think you're right. I think that that second matchup when the fighting Saints had a full complement of players, they looked a lot better and, you know, we're a lot more competitive in that game too. So, and then they won. So it's going to be a good weekend. And it, it's kind of odd that this is the only weekend where they don't face at least one Eastern conference team, but uh, that's kind of, uh, I guess we're used to odd uh, occurrences in this season and mm-hmm. uh, strange things going around. And the fighting saints, again, two games on Friday and Saturday at home, it'll be Waterloo on Friday, Des Moines on Saturday, Uh, Before we get to some Saint for Life talk at the NCAA ranks, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, I think, what Matt Coronado is doing right now for Chicago. And I'm not sure if this is just because this whole USHL season has felt a little disconnected and we haven't been as uh, closely tied to some of these teams. But I think this is news that that should start to get almost national attention in the hockey world. I know some people are starting to talk about a little, but Coronado is 38 points right now through 18 games played. He just set the USHL record this weekend for consecutive games with at least a point. He's now at 27 games with at least a point when you go back to the last nine of last year and then the first 18 of this season. And he's averaging over two points per game. Now, granted, we're still somewhat early in the season, but even if he falls well off this pace, Coronado is still on pace to average over a point and a half per game. And this is a high-flying Chicago Steel offense. We saw it last year, but he's on pace to absolutely smash the totals of the players that were at the top of the charts last year for Chicago. And it, it almost feels like he's doing this a little bit under the radar. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And he's, uh, yeah, 27 games in a row is, uh, is really unbelievable. And, and you think about it, man, the Saints had an opportunity to shut him down a couple of weeks ago, and he, he had that absolutely snipe snipe shot from the the right face-off circle but you know I remember uh, just a few years ago when uh when the Fighting Saints had a a a guy who was chasing a point streak uh Zach Solo 
Um, just remember talking to him how difficult it was to keep a streak going like that because, you know, you get to a point where it's, you know, 10 games, 15 games, and everybody, every shift you take, you're, you're getting hit, you're getting marked, you're getting, I mean, it's, there's a lot of attention on you when you have a streak like that going. And, and I think it's, it makes it that much more impressive that he's able to keep the streak going. You know, when you have everybody's focused on you, everybody's paying so much attention to you and, you know, and you look at the streak really, and uh, you know, it's not like he's just scoring one point here or there, you know, he's getting, you know, he just had one goal yesterday against Youngstown, but he had four points the night before, and he's got uh, probably at least 10 multi-point games already. Um, that's pretty remarkable. And I, I do that, you know, I am a little bit surprised that he's not getting a lot more uh, national attention, especially when you look at, you know, some of the, the big prospects up in Canada aren't even playing right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Coronado, he's a guy who's uh, he's certainly uh, a guy who should be a first round draft pick. And, you know, the way he's playing right now, he should garner attention to be in that top, top five, top 10. Yeah. Matt Coronado, 38 points, 18 games, just an incredible season so far. And yeah, Chicago, again, they just put up a ton of points next on the charts. Sean Farrell has 32 points in 17 games and Eric Middendorf has 30 and 18. It would be incredible if any one of those players were the leading scorer in the league with the amount of points that they put up so far this season. Yet Coronado is still six points ahead of even Farrell, who is having a tremendous start to the season. So uh, Chicago, they lost early on this week, but they won their final two games. Still uh, the probably the team to beat, I would say, in the USHL this season, though the way they have been playing. Um, looking away from the USHL just for a second, when you talk about incredible starts to the season, we've had a break from NCAA hockey for a lot of those teams going back home for winter break, uh, taking some time off, but we're back to playing uh, more or less a full NCAA schedule in a lot of the major leagues. And right now, again, when we talked about last time, a rookie led the league in scoring or led Dubuque and the league in scoring. It was Johnny Goudreau. Uh, Look that up during uh, our talks here on the show. That is correct. The last time Dubuque had a player to lead the NCAA in goals scored was Johnny Goudreau. And Matt Koprud from last year's team has 12 goals. He's three ahead of the next closest player in the NCAA right now in terms of goals scored. And he's only a freshman. That's pretty impressive for Koprud to be putting up as many goals as he is this season. He has 12 goals in 16 games so far. And in four games against Notre Dame, who they just played this past weekend, he has eight goals. So if he played Notre Dame for the entire college season, he'd be setting all sorts of records. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah, that's an interesting stat. It, it's kind of funny to see when, uh, you know, how one player can really dominate another team and, and, and put up those kind of points, but yeah, he's certainly feeling it. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, you go back to last year, I, I think he had a great year here in Dubuque. And I, I think, you know, he came to Dubuque from playing in the BCHL the previous year um, and, and in talking to him at the end of the last season, you know, it seemed like he was a lot, he felt a lot more prepared for that NCAA level after coming to Dubuque and coming to the USHL. And, and certainly that's, uh, that's proven to be accurate. You know, you go, when you go to the NCAA and you have USHL experience and you understand what it's, what it's like to score in a really difficult league to score, 
Uh, I don't want to say it's easier at the NCAA level, but it, it makes the transition a little bit smoother. And uh, certainly, I think last year here in Dubuque uh, played big dividends for him going to Arizona State. At Copper leading the league in goals. Just had to mention that real quickly if people weren't uh, paying close attention because I know that the NCAA hockey took a, a big break, almost felt like the season was over for a little bit, but now uh, most leagues back to playing their normal schedule and Copper back to playing his normal schedule against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish where he just continues to light it up every single game. Uh, we will end this show here with something that we haven't done in a long time. And, and that is talk about the NHL because in two short days, opening night for the NHL on Wednesday, the league will be back after successfully navigating the pandemic and playing their entire playoffs slate in two Canadian cities with a bubble. Now the NHL is going to go back to playing all their games at, at different home arenas. So no bubble here, no fans in attendance for most of those games, but uh, it will certainly be a different feel, but in, in a lot of aspects, the same feel here. Uh, first and foremost, good to have the NHL back. Good to see uh, a lot of these uh, players, former Fighting Saints and, and former USHL players, be able to come back and play a 56-game season. It, do you expect anything crazy like we saw in the bubble with some teams coming out of nowhere, or is 56 games enough for the, the cream to rise to the top? I think that's enough. I mean, it's going to be a, a condensed season, obviously, but I, I do think that's going to be enough. I mean, and I think uh, what I see where the, the trade deadline is, is a lot later this year as well. I mean, not just in the date that the, the trade deadline is, but like in, in terms of the percentage of games played, it's a lot later too. So it'd be really interesting to see if you have, uh, if you see a lot of, uh, moves made at the deadline or how that plays out but I, I do think 56 games is enough I, th I think it's going to be uh I think it's going to be a really good season and you know I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are really chomping at the bit to to get at it and you know you look at teams that didn't make the bubble last year you know you're talking about what uh, nine months maybe 10 months that they've been out of action Mm -hmm. uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those teams come out, if they come flying out of the gates and if they can, uh, you know, uh, make a good run at it, too. So it, that's what's what's so odd is, I mean, you had, you know, obviously you had the bubble, but then you had, I mean, they hadn't played in what, three, four months before the bubble. So it, it's uh, a lot of interesting storylines, I think, going in the NHL season. Yeah, and it, I think you're exactly right. I think 56 games is is actually the the perfect amount for those good teams to establish themselves. I think what it doesn't allow for is maybe that team that is either injury plagued or just gets off to a slow start to mount a comeback and make a run like yeah. we saw with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, if the St. Louis Blues, when they won the Stanley Cup, played a 56-game season, I don't even think they make the playoffs. So it puts more of a premium on a, a quick start or at least just more consistent play throughout the first couple months of the season. Uh, but you're exactly right. I think the good teams will still be the good teams, whoever that may be this season. Uh, and that's our job to determine it now before the season even starts, as we usually do to make some predictions here. We're not going to go crazy bold predictions off the board yet. We'll wait for at least a couple weeks of the season before we do any of those. But uh, just real quick, getting our, our power rankings for the NHL season, 
Um, I don't know if you listed them in five to one. I kind of did a, a, a rough five to one sketch of thought who I thought would be the best teams. Um, but our goal here is just to kind of let people know who we think are going to be the best in the NHL this season. If you want to start off with your number five, if you did it that way, or if you're just going to go with who you think are your five best in no particular order. I already know who your number one is. You didn't even have to tell me. So I, 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 and I, everyone else, but I think we're on agreement on it too, as well. But, uh, when I started number five, I think I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, uh, the defending Stanley cup champions, uh, you know, I think they're going to have some momentum going into this season, but I have them at number five. Yeah, I have a, maybe a little bit of a surprise for people at number five. I don't think it's a, a name that would shock anyone, but it's maybe not a top five team this year on paper. But I like the Washington Capitals this year. Um, I, I know they got the tough news with, with Henrik Lundqvist recently where he will be unable to play this season and uh, in in at least some likelihood he might not be playing again the rest of his career. Uh, but for the Capitals, they still have enough talent. Their aging talent isn't over the hump yet. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, I mean, it felt like a couple of years ago you saw his decline and then he's done nothing but score goals since then at close to a hundred goals in the two seasons after he only put up uh, less than 30 for, or excuse me, I believe right around 30, uh, his lowest mark of his career. Nicholas Backstrom is still solid. They've got some good young talent. Tom Wilson, I think, has started to step away from maybe being a, a total goon and actually has started to put a lot of points on the board. Jacob Vrana's perennial 30-goal scorer, he was fantastic last year. They still have a good mix of that young talent. Evgeny Kuznetsov, another one. And I like the addition of Zdeno Chara. But the biggest thing for the Capitals, and I've been long-winded here, is Peter Laviolette behind the bench. I think that reignites the spark for this team. And I think they're able to make a pretty sizable run here late in the season. So I have them at number five. Yeah, I think that's not a bad pick. I, I do think Washington is a team that uh, I think will have an opportunity to, to make a run for a Stanley cup uh, at four. I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I, I think, you know, the odds makers have Pittsburgh, you know, maybe finish in 10th this year in, in terms of the odds. But I, I think this is a year where, this, you know, Sidney Crosby's kind of getting towards the end. I, I can see him making one more, one more run at, uh, you know, maybe winning the Stanley Cup uh, this year. So I have Pittsburgh at number four. I like what they've done in the offseason. They've had some nice acquisitions that I think are going to bolster that team and, you know, possibly give, uh, possibly give Crosby that one last run at a Stanley Cup. Yeah, Crosby, it's until there are certain players Ovechkin being one of them but you know Sidney Crosby Evgeny Malkin until they're out of the league it's tough to bet against those players even as they continue to get older every single year it doesn't really seem like their games have taken too big of a hit uh, so the Pittsburgh Penguins I think always have to be considered in the mix number four for me I'm going to go with the Toronto Maple Leafs I, I think this might be the season where Toronto finally figures everything out I mean for years that they've had one of the most talented lineups in hockey you still have Mitch Marner you still have Austin Matthews you still have John Tavares you got much better on defense this offseason the big key for me is if Freddie Anderson is really good in net this is as good of a team as any in the NHL just because of the, the strength that they possess up front uh, and I think Toronto, if, if Anderson gets off to a strong start and this team is better on defense, I think they're going to contend with uh, not just Tampa Bay for the top spot 
in that division, but I think they're going to contend for the president's trophy as well in the shortened season. So I think Toronto's upside is greater than just about anyone in the league. I have them at four right now, uh, but just talent wise alone, they could easily be number one and just Toronto being Toronto, they could easily drop out of the top 10. So they're a tough one to gauge, but I'm going to go optimistic for Toronto this year and put them at four to start. Yeah, I get uh, at three, I got St. Louis. Uh, I think that's a team that, uh, you know, obviously they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago and, you know, fell short last year. But I, th- I think St. Louis is a team that's going to have an opportunity to come back and, and make a run again. You know, they were, I thought they were an elite team last year. I thought they were a team that if the, the Stanley Cup playoffs happened, you know, in a, in a normal schedule, I think they would have had a chance to make a run and, and they obviously they didn't have an opportunity to do that. But I, I think that you see a resurgent St. Louis Blues team this year and uh, see them making a run as well. St. Louis actually did not crack my top five. I have uh, Tampa, who you had at five, at number three. Uh, the loss of Nikita Kucherov is going to hurt them. That would hurt any team. But in terms of hurting a team the least, it might hurt Tampa Bay less than just about any other team in the league namely because they have uh, Vesna Trophy winner Annette and Andre Vasilevsky, who's still young, but still one of the premier goalies in the league. You have maybe not just the best defenseman in the league now, but one of the best defensemen in the last 20 years in the NHL in Victor Hedman, uh, who finally got the, the hardware that he deserves along with all the stats that he's put up over the last five to six years. And you still have some elite scores and just very, very good depth <laughs> It hasn't gone anywhere in the last five years. I don't expect them to go anywhere this year. I think they're just going to be a very solid team missing a little that of that explosiveness uh, with, with Kucherov out of the lineup, but still, I don't think suffering too greatly because of that. No. Uh, jumping up to two, I, you know, we, you mentioned them earlier, Toronto. I think you had them at number four. I, I have Toronto at number two. I, I think this is the year that Toronto finally does it. And I, I think if you're a, uh, if you're a hockey fan, every single year you can say this is the year that Toronto is going to do it. And at some point you're going to be right, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's been uh, you know, 1967 is the last time they won the, the Stanley Cup, which is hard to believe for, a, for such a proud franchise, an original six franchise, to go that long without winning a Stanley Cup. I think all the other, all the other original six have, have won the Stanley Cup since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, it's remarkable that they've been they've gone that long, and you know that's by far the team that has the the, the biggest following. I, I'm assuming that they make the most most money in the NHL. Maybe Montreal would be right there with them, but have all kinds of money to spend. Obviously, they haven't spent it correctly over the last fifty some years. But I do think with all the, like as you mentioned, all the young talent that they have. I think this could be the year that they, they make a run and it'll be interesting to see that, you know, they're, they're playing in that all Canadian division this year, which will be uh, which will be kind of fun. But I, I think this is the year. I do think this is the year where, where Toronto can uh, make a run in the Stanley cup. Both optimistic about Toronto. So I don't know if that's a good sign for Maple Leafs fans or, or not. Uh, they know, I think they know better. I mean, it's <laughs> like, I, I think they like, they like the way the, the Chicago, the Chicago Cubs fans were for the longest time. They, you know, they knew not to be overly optimistic and they knew that, uh, you know, common sense told them that, uh, 
you can't always be too over optimistic about the Maple Leafs, just like this, the same way with the Cubs. Yeah. And uh, I think the same way, maybe until last night for the Cleveland Browns fans, but they got a, a massive playoff victory first in 25 years. So uh, you had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had to. I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta be happy for the Cleveland Browns that even as crazy as their uh, season has been and as crazy as the game was last night, it's tough to not root for that team, at least a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm a Steelers fan, so I uh, I don't think I'll ever root for Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you go out and you tell them, you say that it's the same old Cleveland, and then uh, ends up biting you in the butt. So yeah, a little fuel for yep. the or maybe unnecessarily. <laughs> uh, number two for me, I'm going to go with Vegas. Uh, I, I don't believe Vegas is in your top five because I think we both know who number one is. Uh, but Vegas for me is, is still one of the better teams in the NHL. Uh, I think Mark Stone is an underrated superstar. I, I don't necessarily know if he's at the same elite level as a Nikita Kucherov, a Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, list goes on, but he, he's right below. He's the next level. Those are, those are elite, almost generational talent players. He's a superstar in this league right now, but someone that no one really talks about, uh, partly because he played a lot of his career with Ottawa and was putting up great numbers with them, but they just don't get much of the spotlight. I think he'll start to get a little more here in Vegas, uh, but Vegas also has some other great depth players, Max Pacioretty, uh, another phenomenal player for that Vegas Golden Knights team. Jonathan Marchessault has reinvented himself there. So I think Vegas is still uh, a very solid bet. And in a, in a year where I said, you know, a team's not going to have time to make a big run late and you're just going to need consistency from start to finish, I think Vegas is just that. They're a very consistent team. They're still one of the better teams in the league. They don't necessarily have the flash that a Toronto or a Tampa does but they're just very, very solid in all aspects. So I like Vegas to, to put up a good amount of points this year, just be consistent and be my number two. Yeah. I, I know that uh, my number one is, I'm sure it's your number one. They, they've been your, your darling for the last two or three years. And they would have won it so, last year without injuries. I'm convinced. Yeah. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to steal your thunder too much because I, I know this is your team. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche. I just think, you know, as you mentioned, uh, that was a team that I, I think was poised to win the Stanley Cup last year. I think that we even in the summer, I think we even said that they would be the team that would win the Stanley Cup in our modified predictions when the when the bubble started up. But I, I do think this, this is the year for Colorado to to take that next step forward and win the Stanley cup. They get, I thought they got some really good lessons in the playoffs last year, how difficult it is to win. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to, that's going to make them even more hungry and they're going to want to come out and, and do it this year. So I, I do think Colorado is a team to beat uh, this year. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm already in agreement with you, but I had them at my number one and, and not just because, you know, this was my, my darling team, my pick from last season. Uh, but Truly, because I, I think if you look around the league, especially with Kucherov now not being in Tampa Bay's lineup, it's tough to find a better collection of talent than the one that Colorado has on their roster. I mean, they have, you could argue that they have the best player in the NHL right now. I think there is an argument to be made that Nathan McKinnon is a better overall player than Connor McDavid. Uh, he's incredibly explosive. His speed is just as, as explosive as McDavid's. He probably plays a little bit better two-way game than Connor McDavid. 
Uh, but he's just an incredible player to watch. Got to watch more of him last year um, than I ever have before because of playing so many of those games in, in prime time on East Coast time. Um, but yeah, Colorado's a great team. The, the goaltending last year, that's where they fell apart. I mean, that was where the injury hit them the hardest because they lost both of their starting goaltenders in the NHL bubble. And it's just so tough when that happens. Uh, but I think Philip Grubauer is, is an above average starter. And with the, the defense and the offense that he has in front of him, that's really all Colorado needs is an above average starter in between the pipes. So I like the Avalanche this season. I think even if they don't finish number one in the regular season in points, that they would still be my favorite heading into the playoffs, barring the same injuries that we saw last year or something else unforeseen happening. But it's, it's just too much talent that has been there for a couple of years now growing to not succeed. Uh, and I guess Toronto Maple Leafs fans could make the argument that they've had that and it hasn't worked, but I, I just see Colorado moving and trending in a better direction than Toronto has. So yeah, number one, Colorado Avalanche until proven otherwise, they're going to be my horse to ride once again this season. Uh, and when we make our Stanley Cup predictions, which I'm sure will be coming up shortly in one of these shows, I think I'm going to go with Colorado. You can already bet on Colorado being on my Western Conference side of those predictions. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and they've rightly, rightly earned it. And, uh, you know, I think there's no question they should be the number one, the number one pick to win the whole thing. Now it's just a matter of staying healthy and, you know, which is a, something that's really kind of plagued the, the avalanche the last couple of years, but I think if they can stay healthy, you know, this is going to be their year. Uh, they're one of those teams where it's, you know, they've been kind of building and building and building towards this the last few years. And, uh, I think this will be the year that they get over that hump. And, you know, again, you just have to stay healthy and, you know, continue to play the way they've been the last couple of years. And I think they will be, will be there at the end. Yeah. It'll be great to see the NHL back uh, able to complete that bubble season, bubble playoffs rather with such great success. Hopefully that this season goes very well for them uh, as well. And, when you look at the, the start of the season, it's just a couple days away. Wednesday night, you'll get the start of the NHL season with three games, all, I believe, nationally televised. And then Thursday is when the rest of the teams collectively start playing again. There should be, I believe, 13 to 14 games on, on Thursday. So it'll be an awesome start to the season. Very excited to have NHL hockey back to kind of get us from one weekend of Fighting Saints hockey to the next Dubuque back home again, Friday and Saturday, Friday against the Waterloo Blackhawks, Saturday against the Des Moines Buccaneers, 705 puck drop for both of those nights. And you can see uh, both of them, or excuse me, listen to both of them rather on Mixler, watch both of them on hockey TV. That's all the time we have for today's show. Happy to have Jim along as always. And we'll both talk to you on Friday, starting at 655 on Mixler.